What I love about that video is it stars all of us, right? Uh, super is in the word superficial. And uh, so there's a part of us, right, that wants real relationships and deep relational connection. But there is always with us that other part that really isn't attracted to that at all and wants to avert that. And when we talk about relationships uh, and being relational, we're talking about the value, where this series on our values, that really is a high index of whether a church and an individual's life is thriving. Um, you can measure the quantity of a church pretty easily, right? It's the old butts in seats. It's the number of people who are there. That's the quantity of people who are there. But if you want to measure the quality of a church, it really comes down to how much of what that church says they believe and preach is actually pushed into our lives and our hearts in relational connection. So I couldn't be talking about something that is more important to the health and the thriving of a church than to talk about relational health and, and to talk about the fact that we were, we were not meant to do the Christian life alone. In fact, it's impossible. I want to I just begin by looking at some things we know uh, that you should never attempt to do alone. We learned, right, as children, don't go into waters alone. The buddy system is there. Uh, it's dangerous if we do. Um, I think this slide could teach us that uh, you should never try to cut your hair alone. <laughs> just don't do it. Don't do it. Um, you should never go on a blind date alone and, you know, meet someone uh, the first time uh, or invite them to your home. Certainly, you, you don't want to have a blind date where you invite them to your home and you're alone. Um, that's dangerous. Um, you should never, and this is important for guys, um, you should never use a new power tool um, alone. You should never do that. Um, <laughs> okay, what I wonder about this one is who is the no good friend who's taking the picture <laughs> instead of saying, no, don't do it. Put the chainsaw down. You know, who, who is doing that? Uh, and, uh, you know, this also related to chainsaws. Don't try to take a tree down alone if it's your first time. This is John Marcotte um, on that limb, um, all alone. <clears throat> But when it comes to our spiritual life, we, our problem is we think we can do it alone. And actually, when it comes to our life itself, um, we, we think we can do it alone. And we're going to look at a passage uh, that points out to us that we really can't, that God's design, uh, and we're going to look at two passages in this book of Hebrews, the New Testament book, um, written by uh, an anonymous author. We don't know who wrote it. But it ha it's basically comprised of seven different encouragements. Uh, and a great theme of it uh, is in two of the encouragements we're going to look at. And so let me read them, and then we'll um, open up what this means for us in our relationships. He says in verse 23 of chapter 10, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more uh, as you see the day approaching. And then in chapter three, um, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ 
if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. I want you to see the first thing in this passage that it speaks to us about is that all of us are in danger of drifting. Uh, And drifting uh, will land us in a bad place. We tend to not think that that's the case. We're always oblivious to what lies behind us when we're drifting. (laughs) But when we drift, it's, I have never found a person drift into an improved situation. I've never found somebody whose marriage was really completely broken and in shatters, and then all of a sudden, it is delightful to both parties, and you say, how did you get there? They say, I don't know, we just drifted. Doesn't happen. I've never seen somebody who is deep in debt, and so they've just maxed out their credit cards, and they're really in financial crisis, and then six months, a year, two years later, they paid off all those credit cards, they're, they're in great financial shape, and you say, how'd you get there? And they go, I don't know, we just drifted. And and you certainly never see someone who needed to prioritize physical fitness, maybe shed some weight and do some exercise and change their dietary habits, who's all of a sudden in in incredible shape. And you say, wow, what happened? They say, I don't know. I just drifted into fitness. We don't drift when it comes to our budgets, our bodies, our relationships into a good place. And and the good news is, is this is what the Word of God tells us. And it's not just uh, for young Christians, or at the beginning of the Christian life, he says that we need this throughout. He says, encourage one another um, daily. First of all, this says that there is a 23-hour and 59-minute expiration mark on all of our spiritual input. (laughs) In other words, how long does God trust us to live in isolation from other people? Not a day. There's a 24-hour expiration. And, And he says that we never reach a point in our spiritual life, he says, until Christ comes again. He says, as long as it's called today, in other words, until the day that Christ comes and our final day is written, as long as that happens, we need daily input from other people. And the reason why is we drift. We have a drift that we cannot solve ourselves. So he says, brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Here he, is, he personifies sin, as something that is alive and active and always talking to us. Sin is always alive and active. It is talking to me in my heart. There is a script of sin, and he describes the way sin operates in us, uh, almost personified as another person in my life, and he says that sin operates in my life and your life by deceit. That's what he says in verse 13, lest you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What sin does is it tells me lies. And when I receive those lies and they are not uh, supplanted, uh, they cause me to drift even further or to be hardened in heart. To be hardened in heart means that we more easily repel the approaches of God. To have a hard heart is to have a heart that is insensible, is unimpressionable. We ought to be very impressionable when it comes to God. You know, there's some people who are very impressionable about what certain people think. We all have that problem. But it is the reverse problem when we become hard to be impressed by the visitation or a communication of what God thinks. And the way that happens is our hearts start to believe lies about ourselves, about our world, and about God uh, because of sin. And, And so he says, this is This is the default status for all of us. And it it takes place in us, and there are all all kinds of lies that are rooted in unbelief. 
You think, well, I'm not an unbeliever. I believe. I have, I just, we just sung that wonderful song. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe. What do you mean? No, un, if you ever and I ever perfectly believed, then we would never dally or even uh, have the, be tainted by sin because we would always only ever operate according to the reality of God. And so every sin, actually, the gateway to sin is always unbelief. And unbelief operates by lies. It tells us lies about reality that are not true, lies about ourselves that are not true. You're not worthy in the sight of God in that he doesn't love you. You, you, you are a complete wreck that will never be reclaimed. That's a lie that needs to be countered. Or there's this lie, this, and, and, and again, we all have days where that lie is so powerful. Uh, or, or you can believe this lie that basically says, God, I think you're holding out on me. God, I think that there's actually a better, more preferable life that I really would, would be more full of pleasure, life, and adventure that doesn't involve your will or your presence. And that operates on all of our hearts. What, what this is saying is that there are times when the believer, and no, he's talking to brothers and sisters, when the believer who has decided with all of their integrity, all of their energy, they want to follow after Jesus Christ, that there are times in our life where a lie is told in the interior of our heart. It's unseen. Not even our spouses and closest friends see that transaction going on, and those lies are placed there, and they need to be counteracted. And so it's saying that believers, can you imagine this, that someone who believes in God actually begins to believe things that only make sense if God doesn't exist, and then they start to think about ways that they can act and carry out their life as if God doesn't exist. What believer in their right mind ever operates that way? That's crazy. You know what believers do that? All of us. All of us. This is, this is Christianity 101, and it's also Christianity 401, and it's Christianity PhD. It's Christianity at all levels, okay? So he's saying we have to be on guard, and the problem is we can't lift ourselves out of these lies. So again, our, our heart is operating this way. It says God's holding out on me, or God doesn't love me, or it's too late for me to repent, or do this anyway, it'll be easy to repent, or... Um, I wish I could just put God and ignore or block so I could just have a little while to carry this relationship out this way or to indulge this pleasure. Or I deserve this indulgence. I've earned this sin. I need it. It belongs to me. Or I can do this and there will be no consequence even though it flies in the face of reality in God. Those are all lies that our hearts tell us. And what these verses tell us is I cannot lift myself out of these lies by myself. And this is why relationships come in here, because it, apart from relationships, we, we can masquerade. And it's not even masquerading, it's just that no one will notice if we're not in relational connection. When you're in a church, and you can be in a church much, much, much smaller than this, and you just, you just relax, you stop coming as frequently, or maybe you don't come at all. By the time anybody really notices, if you don't have relational connection, it, you're pretty far down that path. When you're the, the, the relational connection can't be someone on staff who's overseeing a lot of ministry. It can't even be an elder who may attend a different service. It can't be a leader. It's got to it's gotta be relational connection or you and I will be goners. 
And so he's saying we've got we've to have relational network, and here's why the, the quality of the church is, is measured this way, who can speak into our lives. Because here's what happens. This will describe some people this morning. You barely got here this morning. And when you got here, you were half sure you didn't want to be here at least. Maybe you were dragged here by someone else. Maybe everything was a disaster this morning. Somebody forgot to buy the milk or drank it all, so you don't have milk for your cereal or cream for your coffee, so you're like, well, I should run to the store if I'm going to get that. Um, somebody didn't put the keys back. Somebody didn't put gas in the car. If you have children, maybe one of them can't find their shoes. Um, you get in a tiff over who should have done these things as you're driving here. You know, you, you may have Caleb on on the radio, but it's not on in the atmosphere of the car. And maybe you decide because you're going to be coming into worship, you'll just defer this argument later, but it's about as frosty as the North Pole inside your car. And you had this whole ambivalence about whether you should even come here, and then you pull in the lot and you disembark from your car, and you're like, church. <laughs> and you come and you sit in a row and no one will know in the row because it doesn't show, <laughs> right? And so when you're seated in a row, no one knows because it doesn't show. Somebody smarter than me came up with that, but that's the reality. <laughs> now, I'm not against rows. I'm all for rows. I'm all, I mean, I'm a preacher. I love people seated in rows, and I, I talk one way to you, to, and I think that that's, it, there's a place for that, Okay. But when you're seated in a row, no one knows what's going on in your heart because it doesn't show. And that's why, as a church, what we say is circles are better than rows. Because when you're in a circle of relationship, people can interact and, and you need to give people permission, but you also sometimes need to take the initiative and in grace saying, hey, I know your heart because I know mine. You detect things and you can respond to things before they get so etched in concrete that you've got to take out the jackhammers to save a person from the encrustment of all the lies that have come upon their heart. And, and so that's why we believe in circles, in small groups, where it's not just an intellectual exercise. And again, it's not just small groups. Maybe your small group is operating too much like a, like Rose, because there's so many people in it. You've succeeded. You've welcomed enough new people that now you've gotten to the point where nobody's going to really share anything that is vulnerable. Or, or maybe you've moved into more of an intellectual exchange, and then, and there's places for that. I'm not saying you shouldn't love God with your mind, but that's not where transformation happens, and that's not what the index of relationship means, that you are seated in the circles where you can call each other out on stuff. And, and you can do it before things get hardened and set in, because here's what we know from this verse. We are all simply one disastrous decision away from making a complete wreck of our lives. And those inner voices, it starts inside where nobody can see it. Uh, and, but if we, if we have relationships, and here's, here's the beauty of relationships, when you have other people in your life and you're transparent, sometimes it happens in my study where someone will come and see me about a dilemma they have, and simply by talking about it out loud, they already, they kind of say, oh, I guess that's wrong. And they don't even need me to say anything. But they couldn't detect it just alone with them and God. And, and, and because we know, I mean, like, I'm not going to say, hey, I, I think that if I could just put God, if I could just block God from my life for this relationship or this situation or this trial I'm going through and deal with it my way, I'd be much happier. We know that's nonsense on the one hand. 
but we need someone sometimes to say it. And there's so many, there's so many times where if we talked about the talk that's going on from our hearts, interpreting our life, and we let that be verbalized to just another follower of Christ who's a sinner just like we are, um, all that person needs to say to us is to ask us a question. They can just say, oh, did you come up with that by yourself or did Satan help you? That's all we need to do. I mean, the, and so this is, what, this is what this verse is saying, that there, there need to be people who we let know us enough that they can bring customized encouragement to us. So again, I, I've known a situation where um, in relationship with, with a person, and every time they talked about their wife, it, was, it wasn't really negative to the point of, a, of even a criticism. It just, everything was either neutral or uh, kind of a complaint. Not even an attack on her character, but just a complaint, complaint, complaint. And, and, and because of the relationship, I could press into that and say, hey, uh, you know, I just noticed like every time you talk about your spouse, it's, it sounds like she's a drag to you. What's going on with that? Do you, are, are you feeling, do you, and, you know, and it, out of that came a sense of entitlement, but a sense of conviction that that's how they were processing things. Because when we feel entitled, when we feel like we're not getting what we deserve, that's a lie. We feel like I deserve better. That, that, that greases the skids to all kinds of ways that, you know, every commandment we break is basically us taking our needs into our own hands and functioning in our own way by ourselves apart from God. That's what an unbelieving, deceptive heart says to us. And so we need relationships, but we need actually to open ourselves to these relationships. And Jesus is so good. Again, in his movement, the first thing he did is he established a small group, right? It was John Wesley, the great leader of Methodism, who said he didn't ever consider someone sufficiently decided to follow Jesus Christ until they were placed in a small group. It was just, it was just one of the steps of what it meant to follow Jesus was to be part of the movement of the people that he loved. And, and so this is, is so key. because, and, and we need to establish this because here's the issue that we have is when we need this the most, we want it the least. When we need that input of other people, and when we need to really share what's going on in our lives, we actually want that input the least. That's the danger side. <laughs> if, if you're hungry for that, if you say, yeah, I really do want to sit down with someone who loves Jesus, and I would love to share what's going on and the conflicts and struggles of my heart, that's good. That's a good sign. You still need to get there, but that's a good sign. The danger side is when you say, yeah, I don't want to really share what's going on. <laughs> That's a bad sign. Uh, and so, again, the Bible says it's not safe for our hearts to be in isolation. Bad things grow in the dark. And what some of the 12 steps say, you're as, you're as sick as your secrets. Bring them out in the light. And, and how often do you bring them out? Bring them out in the light constantly. Light eventually, it'll, it, it, it will kill that which is unhealthy. And so those kind of relationships, again, this, this is not what comes naturally for us. This is something that has to be uh, Christ-induced. It's something we've got to pull ourselves into those kind of relationships. Uh, but we want relationships like this the least when we actually need it uh, the most. And so it says that we are subject to a drift, and that drift will lead us into sin talking to us and not counteracted. 
It says, secondly, we can't lift ourselves out of that drift without the instrument of other people. I'll tell you, there have been, I'm sure, many, many times in my life, but I remember a time where a friend, in an uncomfortable way, kind of pushed me and, and questioned me about whether I was bitter about something. And it was a situation where I had been wronged, probably even sinned against, and I thought I had handled it so nobly. I mean, I was just, I was dishing out forgiveness in all of these places. And uh, he said, yeah, but I've noticed that when you talk about it, it seems like there's still this, oh, I was so annoyed. I told him, get out of my life. You're no longer my friend. I'm not going to talk to you ever again, right? That's what I told him. No, I said, I said, you know, you're actually right. Even though I forgave and, and I didn't retaliate and I didn't commit a crime that would have wrecked my life in retaliation or anything, um, I kind of fantasized about someone else getting vengeance for me. <laughs> I kind of took pleasure that, yeah, what they did is actually not turning out so good for them. Like there were, the, there were like those signs of bitterness. I couldn't detect it. I needed someone else. And there are so many things, our sense of, again, entitlement, pride, are slipping away, that we, we need people in our life, and we need to have that transparency, and then we need to be offering that to other people. So that's why we offer small groups. So we want them to be as healthy like this as possible. They have to have leaders who take the risk of being the most vulnerable person in the room. They have to have people who disrupt our tendency to form rows and say, nope, we're a circle, okay? We, we, we have to have that, but there are means of actually opening that up for other people, because the quality of our church is measured in those smaller units, Quality is not measured by the quantity of people that we reach. Now, if you have a quality relationship with Jesus, you're going to want more people to experience it, right? Unless you get into this us four, close the door, no more mentality. We're not about that. But we're saying sometimes the richest things are the us four. And it's not even in your small group. It's just saying, hey, my small group may only meet once a week. Some of them only meet every other week. And so it's saying, if I'm going to have those relationships, then I got to call someone who shared something really important and let them know I'm praying for them and I'm in this with them. Uh, I've, I've got to have relationships outside of that. Maybe you, you go to Starbucks or another place of your beverage of choice and you sit down with three people or you do an activity together that helps bridge and deepen the gap. We all know that there are situations, I mean, we find it even on our staff at church, when we do some things outside of this building and outside of ministry, it just changes the way we interact. It does, it deepens us. We're overdue for that. And, and if most of us are honest, we say, hey, yeah, there's some relationships. I'm just letting kind of, hmm, there could be so much more. Uh, and, and so it depends upon us in part to do that because we cannot lift ourselves out of this by ourselves and on our own. We cannot do it. I'm so thankful that in our church's student ministry, as my children grew up in church, they basically, when you speak about church, I think they have been so they have been so formed by how ministry has been received here is they don't think of church as just showing up on a Sunday, showing up for weekend service. You know, for, for some of us, I mean, there's, there's probably some of you here who say, yeah, um, I'm here more often than not, and it makes my mother-in-law or my mother really happy to know, yep, I'm in church, check the box. But there's no real life change. There's no real processing and no change because change happens not simply by the transfer of information and books, but it happens when we, when we discuss and integrate that into our lives. It's why what we're doing in small groups now is discussing what's preached to say, how is this being implemented? How am I living this out? 
because that serves so many great purposes when we're talking about it. It deepens and fastens the truth as something that we're actually supposed to do. I remember when I was cloistered in seminary, that's the minister preparatory school, and I was isolated. I didn't even know any non-believers, and everybody I knew was not only a believer, but people who loved to quote all kinds of complicated theology that I was trying to understand, okay? And we would have somebody come in and teach us, and I felt guilty about that. Wow, we're not, we're not hanging out with any lost people. We're not, we're not hanging out with the people God misses most. We're not doing mission together. And I would feel guilty about that. And then we would have somebody come in and they would teach on evangelism and missions and I would all of a sudden feel better. I hadn't done anything. <laughs> I just heard lectures and information, but I all of a sudden felt like I was doing evangelism and doing missions and serving God. And I wasn't, I was just getting fatter sitting in a library reading theology books. <laughs> and that's what can happen to us. We get alive in our intellects and we get educated way beyond our obedience. All of us get educated somewhat beyond our obedience, but transformation is really in the doing. Jesus said in John 7, you will know know, uh, who I am if you are willing to do my teaching. There's a knowledge that comes in the doing, and that's where our faith really grows. So I'll just tell you, I mean, I benefit from books that put information on my radar screen, but I'm not transformed until there's the doing of them. And so for me, I remember going to college and I was a fairly new Christian following Christ for the first time. And when we were in groups of people, I was scared to death to ever pray out loud. I was like, it sounds weird. sounds silly. I, I, I can't do it. The way I learned to pray out loud was not by reading books. I went to groups that prayed for each other. And all of a sudden, I realized that those simple, authentic people, I mean, they just prayed from the heart, simple, authentic things. They just talked to God like, like I talked to him when I was alone, but they did it in front of other people. And all of a sudden, I felt like, yeah, I, I can do as good as that. I'll do that. <laughs> but it freed me up to do. And then all of a sudden, I find like, like ah, I, can, I can hear somebody share a prayer request, and then I can pray for them on the spot. But it wasn't from a book. It was because I saw it and experience it. Or I think of sharing Christ. I didn't, I was just clumsy, didn't know how to do that, but I, I heard people in my smaller group of friends talk about not just their successes, but their failures. And sometimes even their failures when they're being faithful, and I'm like, yeah, I, I could do that. I could just talk about what Jesus means to me, how he's met my needs. That's what I'll do. Or, or I think of when I began to really calculate and say, I want to be generous financially. I, I heard sermons about it that talked about, hey, you know, 10% of your income's God. He'll make your 90% go as far as your 100% would go if you just give him your 10% and live on your 90. He'll, I heard all that, but it didn't become real to me until I was in a smaller group, and I heard people say, we're doing that. We're trusting God, and here's how God's coming through, and here's why it's still hard sometimes for us to do it, but we do it anyway, and we find that God, God makes himself known to us, it was, it was in the small group section that really my life, and I could go on and on about all kinds of things that I didn't get from a book, but I got because I heard people in a real way talk about it and not talk about it as though, man, this is easy, but they just said, yeah, we're, we're obeying, but it's hard, and sometimes we, we doubt, and yet in the midst of that, God comes through. It was in the midst of that kind of authentic processing that I said, wow, I, I, need, to, I need to get in step with that so that my faith grows and it's not just a, you know, a laboratory library faith that's over here conceptually, but it's a faith that's actually lived out so that I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm a doer of the word, as James says. 
And that, can, that only happens, I believe, I don't think it's an overstatement to say, that only happens in a comprehensive way when there is relational health in a, in a church community that is replicating itself, reproducing itself. Everything healthy that is spiritual will reproduce itself. That's a spiritual law. If something is spiritually healthy, it ripples out and it reproduces itself. If somebody, even one person, is obeying God's calling in their life that other people aren't seeing and they do it persistently and they're in relationships in a body, it will reproduce itself. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, But it only does that if there are relational connections. So we're not living as hermits in isolation, even though at times we think that's the life that would really be great. That's not the life God has for us. I want to close with this quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, It comes from Mere Christianity. He writes this. He says, a man who wrote tremendous books and tremendous thinker, he writes this. He says, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works in us through each other. That's a bold statement for someone who's a great writer and a great thinker. But he says this. He says, we are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think that the church has many purposes, education, building, missions, holding services, but the purpose of all of these things is actually only one purpose. The church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ and to make them into little Christ. If the church is not doing that, then all the cathedral's mission sermons, even the teaching of the Bible, is simply a waste of time. And relational connection. It's, look at our text, it's indispensable if we are going to hold our original conviction firmly to the end, if we're going to avoid that disastrous decision that would make a wreck of our life and the wreck of so many other people's life, we have to have and live out relational connection. We've got to cultivate relationships that we let in at a deeper level that is comfortable to us by nature, and we have to cultivate stepping into others' lives a little further than would come in our regular, our isolated, don't get in my business kind of background. And the gospel provides the way for this. Because this is what Jesus did. He entered in. He didn't ignore us in our sin. He came all the way down at great and incredible immense cost to him. He forged a path through and he marched into the mess of our lives. And he came not angry or wrathful, but he came with a love that wanted to displace what was ugly so that we could live the version of life that God had in mind for us. And that comes through relationship with Christ and it spirals out and is fed by relationship with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this value of relational. We, We do it poorly. We really don't know how to do anything, church. We can't do anything in your word without your help, but Lord, help us to pursue it imperfectly and in our flaws um, by your grace. That doesn't really get in the way if we set our hearts upon doing and living this out. And so we pray that you would help covenant as we, as we seek to grow in the number of people who are introduced to you and know you. Lord, deepen the quality of relationships and the vigor nature of the life that is expressed in all of the different cells of the body. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.